Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey shares the importance of and calls a generation to night and day worship and prayer. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. We're going to do part two of We Go Together. And uh, we're going to start again with Ephesians 4. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about our kind of our discipleship path, our discipleship framework. And then I want to give a specific, I really, I want to talk about how God called me into what we're doing and give a specific invitation into it, really. But uh, let's pray. Thanks, Lord. And if you would just... With your own heart, just put a tug on the Lord and let's all, in unity, let's all draw on the Holy Spirit right now. So, Lord, here we are. Once again, we're gathered asking you to meet us by your Spirit. We're asking you to release revelation to us. So I pray that even tonight that you would affirm the the direction and the leadership that you uh have in so many of our lives. I pray that you would give specific affirmation and specific witness to the hearts of every single person in the room. And Lord, just draw us together into what it is that you're you're thinking of, you're you're speaking to us about. And even as a, a spiritual family together, even as gatekeepers together, our portion in this season I'm just asking that you would make it clear to us in a very uh, pronounced and focused way. So impress upon us your leadership, we ask. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Okay, so turn over and let's look at Ephesians 4. We're just going to hold on to this verse for the next several weeks. I want to use it as a um, springboard into everything we're talking about. Ephesians 4, it's the one we emphasized last week. Of course, this is Paul, the apostle. He's in a Roman jail cell, almost said prayer cell, jail cell. And he is, I mean, I feel like he's using that location and using his situation, and he is really emphasizing what he's saying is important in light of it. He's going, I'm in jail, and I'm asking you to take it seriously, what I'm saying to you. Like, that's, that's the way I read it. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech. I doubt he said beseech. That's a weird English word that no one says. I beseech you, go to the restaurant and get me some food. No one says beseech. But I urge would be the idea. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And right there, my, my antenna goes up. I go, okay, Paul in jail asking me to take something seriously. To, to, he's urging me to walk worthy of the calling. And I go, okay, okay, what's the worthy walk you have for me? What is it that you're asking me to do? He goes, here's what it is. Walk worthy of the calling with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. I go, oh, man. And like I said last week, 
As soon as I read that list, I go, like, dang it, I'm bad at all those. I'm instantly like, oh, no, I, none of those come naturally to me. He goes, that's right, because you're going to need the Holy Spirit to do these things. And I just want to throw this out to you, that there is a new way that we all have to learn. Because that first word, lowliness, is not what is popular. It's not what is sought after. Most people aren't looking to be lowly. They're not looking to be meek and humble. They're not looking to be last. They're looking to be first, biggest, best, most. We pay attention to those words, and we want those. We want most, biggest, first. No one is saying, I want last, least. If I said, hey, we're going to pray for everybody to be last and least tonight, just receive it. No one's signing up for that. I'm not saying you should fail, but I'm saying there's a lowliness where you put yourself in the back of the line and you prefer others. There's a lowliness where you humble yourself in a way that it's almost like frowned on in, in our modern culture. And even thought of as soft. Like if you're actually humble, oh, you're just soft. And... um. And I just think that there is something that is so important, so valuable, so attractive to God that's repulsive to people. But the, the things that repel man, oftentimes they attract God. You know, what we don't esteem, what we don't prefer, so often that's the very thing God invites us into. And so this thing, lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing long with one another. That bearing long, that, that one's tough. In this culture, in our current culture, the, the thing that people do with one another is they get tired of them and they cancel. That's it. I'm done. You're done. I cancel you. I cancel you. I cancel you. I cancel you. So they just cancel, but that's the exact opposite of what the Scripture says. Bear long with one another. One time, this is when I was a youth pastor, I had this young lady, and she, I, I didn't really know her backstory. I knew her family situation wasn't awesome. I just didn't know specifically what it was. And it turned out that she had an alcoholic father, and, and it was her home life was abusive. And so any male figure was intimidating. And uh, I remember I'm sitting there uh, talking to her, giving her some uh, pastoral input, and she's sitting in my office, and I'm encouraging her. I'm, like, trying to, like, hey, I see something more in you. There's something special in you. I just want to call you into who, who you are, and, you know, there's, a, there's, there's more for you, and and, uh, you know, but, but the, the way that you, because she was the kind of person that would just get in fights all the time. And she would just put people out and put people off a lot. And I, and I would just say, but the way that you're interacting uh, with people, you can't act that way. You got to, like, change that up. You got to be, like, you know, kind, and you can't do that. And she started cussing me out, F-U-U-M-F-er. 
I'm like, well, this is not the pastoral meeting I thought I was about to have. F you, you MFers, you're an MF. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. And, and I was younger and not quite as sanctified, so I said, uh, no, I didn't. I said, I don't know what I said. I just said, whatever, that's bad or something. I don't know. It caught me completely off guard, and I was angry. That's my response was angry. And I, but I, and I just said, you know, you're not going to act that way with me, whatever. And I hear the Lord say to me, I hear the Lord say to me, I stretched out my back and was beaten for your healing. Sometimes I'm going to ask you to experience a beating for another's healing. Would you do that? I'm like, heck no. No, I didn't say that either. I went, oh, no. I said, I am so sorry. I, so I apologize. I go, hey, I'm so sorry. And, uh, and I said, I'll, you know, I want to help you, whatever. And we went on a couple-year journey with this young lady. And do you know, like, that, those years of working her through where she was, you know, she would get in these cantankerous fights with people and stuff. By the end of it all, you know, she, she you know, from 13 to 18 or whatever it was, she ended up being one of the most servant-hearted, you know, sweet girls. She still had that rough edge, but she, you know, just very, very tender in heart. And, um, and I remember telling the Lord one time, just in, in that case with her, and, and I, said, I said, Lord, uh, I'm done. Can I just be done? Because this is like, I don't like getting cussed out and stuff. I'm, I'm kind of done. And he said, yeah, you can give up on her when you would want somebody to give up on you. Yeah, if we get thanks, guys, it's just I'm I'm I don't I'm not upset, but it's just distracting. Um, and so that became my like, that became like my thing. Like, okay, well, I'm not gonna give up on somebody. I'm only gonna give up on somebody when I would want them to give up on me. And and it became a rudder for me. And so there'll be so many times I'll be like, okay, I'm just, I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not giving up. And uh, finally, I just got to the place just in, in, just as a Christian, this isn't about being a pastor, this is a Christian. Like, okay, I'm never going to give up on people because Jesus never gives up on us. Right? And that is the bearing long with one another. And, um, and I, just, I just look at his heart towards us, and I go, okay, Lord, I want that very grace. And so often I get to that place, I go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And he goes, just give up on them when you want them to give up on you. And this is the kind of stuff that's not popular, it's not easy, but it's what the Lord calls us to do, right? And that's how we walk out this thing that he's going to say next, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. By going low, by being patient, by bearing long with each other, and by being really gentle with people. Gentle and patient. And I just want you to think about your whole life. Just think about your whole life. Who are the people that have been gentle and patient with you? 
gentle and patient. It should be easy because most people aren't gentle and patient. It should be fairly easy to figure out the ones that have been gentle and patient. And you know what's wild in our world right now? There's many of us that we're like, can't even think of somebody that we would have thought is like, that person's been gentle and patient. Like so, so many, that's been our experience. Well, if we're living in a world where most people are not gentle and patient, what does that actually produce in everybody? Not being gentle and patient. And so it, it creates this culture of being crass and sharp, impatient and harsh, right? But there is, I'm telling you, there is a different way. There's a different way. And it's not soft. It's easier to be harsh with people and cancel them than it is to bear long and be gentle. It's easier to throw people away at the first sign of them doing you wrong. That's easier than staying in the game and not giving up. And I just want to throw this out to you. Is there... Is there somebody in your life you gave up on? Maybe you should take that back to the Lord and ask him, hey, did you give up on them? And allow, see, this is this thing about being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. It's, there's, not, that's, there's nothing in there that's humanly easy. Takes all, that all takes God. Humans don't want to act that way. Humans don't want to be lowly. Humans don't want to bear long with each other. Humans don't want to be gentle and patient. Gentle and patient? Try that the next time you're at the Department of Motor Vehicles. You're in the line. Everybody's going ape. And you're like, hey, could everybody just be gentle and patient in here? Hey, true story. So my mom, who I told you about, I told you she's a pretty spicy lady. So my mom, one of the favorite, her favorite things to do, and don't try this at home, but I'll just tell family secrets now since we're being lowly and open and vulnerable tonight. Uh, but one of my mom's favorite things to do is um, go play blackjack, praise God, for cash money. And um, she doesn't do that anymore because an 85-year-old woman in the casino is dangerous. Though I think, actually, she did take her friend last year to go, what could go wrong? Two 85-year-old women in a casino. Anyway, um, but my mom, so she and her friend would go out to Vegas, and they would sit at the blackjack table and play cards. And, you know, they'd have a budget, and they'd spend their budget, and if they made money, they'd make money. And then if not, they'd just lose all their money. It was just part of their vacation expenses. Don't try this at home. I'm not affirming this as an active, active activity for gatekeepers. It was like, oh, when are we going to the casino? Can we do no, that's not what this is about. This is a story, a true story nonetheless. But so my mom, I had just done, I had just gotten finished preaching a sermon uh, series on mercy. And my mom is at the blackjack table and everybody is like savaging each other and like just railing and cutting each other off. And she goes, my God, would every one of you shut up and just be merciful to each other? 
She said the whole table was like, what? You need to all be merciful. She starts preaching mercy at the blackjack table. There would be times my mom, my mom's still alive, so this is not some death thing. But my mom would come to me at church, hand me an envelope of cash. I'd be like, what? She's like, we had a really good time in Vegas. Put, she'd go, put that in the offering, honey. I'm like, ah, okay, Lord, do what you want with this. Just being all open, transparent, vulnerable tonight. All right. So I'm hitting these points on Ephesians 4 because I want to give practical thoughts on some of this. Like, we can sit up here and go, we go together, yay, and have some rally deal. But if it doesn't get into how we interact with one another, it's just a pep rally, just a hype fest. I don't care about that. What I care about is a transformed life that looks like Jesus and walks out what Jesus has invited us to live like. And, um, and I want that. I want it for me. I want it for us. Anybody want to say amen right there? Don't make me do like a pause and stare at you for 2024 version. Let the reader understand. All right. So I want to give you... Uh, I want to give you, I want to read one more passage, and I want to give this discipleship framework. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. Just go ahead and look at it. I want you to get your eyes on it, your device, your Bible. Acts 2. Talking about the disciples. Talking about the believers right after the day of Pentecost. Church is just born. 3,000 get baptized. And they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If you want to know what New Testament Christianity looks like, continuing steadfastly in teaching in the word, fellowship, and that's not just like watching a movie together. That's like opening your heart and sharing together. In breaking of bread, that is ordering the pizza. Amen. And prayer. Like, they just, they just simplify it to real, real simple terms. We're going to get in the Word together. We're going to open our hearts with each other. We're going to eat food together. And we're going to pray together. Really, really simple Christianity. And it was working. It was working so much, verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Remember last week we talked about breakthroughs coming through unity. This is one of those examples that when they were in unity, things started breaking out. And they were just in this very simple life of going together. They were in this very simple thing of teaching, opening their heart in fellowship, sharing meals and prayer. And then power was being released. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and so they were even taking care of each other. And verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They're literally just looking at the community of the saints and saying, who's got any challenges? Hey, I'll sell this 
and pay for your situation. And why that was super important, and I think why the reason that shows up in the Scripture is because a ton of these people that were getting born again were getting kicked out of their families. They were getting kicked out of the trade guilds that they were a part of because sometimes the trade guilds were all centered around, like, idol worship. And so they had these different kind of um, sectors of society that they were getting removed from, and they literally had to find family in church. And so that's why there was so much neediness. So look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord. We mentioned one accord last week, but there it is again. With one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. They're meeting daily. They're sharing daily. They're worshiping and praising daily. They're experiencing God's uh, work through them daily. And people are getting saved daily. This is what New Testament Christianity is supposed to look like. It's not supposed to be once a week. It's not Sunday morning. You know, Sunday morning doesn't even show up in church history till 325. 325 is when Sunday morning begins to show up. Sunday wasn't even like a day off in, 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 in that part of the earth or in the earth really ever. It wasn't a day off until 325 under Constantine. For the first several hundred years of church, if you study any church history, it was daily. They were meeting for prayer daily. They were meeting with one another daily. They were having fellowship and open hearts daily. They were, they were sharing the gospel wherever they went. It was always happening all the time. It was always daily. The, 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 this concept of once a week church service, that's, that's not even in there. That's, that is a, an iteration that's happened through, through, down through the ages. But when we look at the scripture, we really don't see that. We see them in each other's house. We see them sharing meals. We see them in the temple. We see them with worship and prayer happening daily, open hearts daily, evangelism daily. This is what they were doing. Guys, they were living like this together. They were going together. And it was in that unity of the spirit that power was being multiplied. I mean, you you have an influence by the Holy Spirit causing people to come together, and that influence is being compounded by how they were walking this out together in unity and love, and God's moving like wildfire through them. Thousands upon thousands are getting saved. It's powerful. And I said last week, one of the reasons why I think that we're not seeing what they saw in the first church is because of this issue of lacking unity. Yak, lack, lack, yakking, lacking one accordedness, lacking being together. And we just end up trying to go alone. And, and it's just not, it's just not what was prescribed in the Bible. And I have this in my heart. I have this desire to see the church regain what it had in the first century. But here's the point. I don't think we're just on the way to regain what was going on in the first century because I think we're headed to something that's going to multiply what they had in the first century. I don't think we're just going back to, oh, maybe we'll have the power on us and have the unity on us and the love on us like they had in the first century. That's the beginning. That was the starting place. 
it should go from there to something far more intense, right? It, that shouldn't be like the whole of it. It should, it should morph and expand and, and be so much stronger and greater, you know, from that first century moving forward. And so I would just say this, that when we think about our Christianity, I would way rather have our Christianity look like something from the first century than say something from the 21st century. And I think there's something about reclaiming some of the things that have been lost and living them out in our cultural context that, man, I just, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's on that. You know, and it is, I don't, I'm not saying we've got to be in communes and y'all need to sell all your stuff and we're going to put all the money in a pile and figure out who's got need. I'm not, I'm not saying it exactly like that, but I am saying there's something about common care Something about unity, something about oneness, something about love, where we're bearing one another's burdens. I mean, Paul said it like this in the book of Romans. He said, I want you to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How how connected to each other do you have to be that when this person gets the, the thing that's just like such a blessing, you're just as happy as if you got it? I mean, how connected do you have to be that when they are brokenhearted because they're going something, you're feeling the pain of it just like they are. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I will be, I'll be um, completely honest with you. There were so many times as a young man growing up in Christ that meant somebody else is getting blessed, and I'm going, where's mine? I want mine, God. He's going, bro, can you just be happy for them? If you could be happy for them, then maybe I'll give you something. But right now, you're all upset and jealous. I'm going to keep blessing everybody around you till the jealousy gets wrung out of you. I mean, and I look back on some of my, my own personal immaturity, and I go, my God, like, Lord, why did you, like, you should have thrown me out. He's like, yeah, I don't give up on people, remember? <laughs> and, 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 I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I, here's how I, I want to live, and I, I feel like I've seen it change in my own soul. And I, I mean, I'm an older person, so it's, this has been years of get this getting worked in my life where I've watched other people get blessed with the very thing that I thought I wanted, and I've seen it move in my own soul from jealousy to rejoicing. And that's only the work of the Spirit because that's not how I'm wired naturally. I'm wired as a sinful man who wants my own thing. You guys are so loved up over here. Everybody's rubbing on each other and got arms around each other. Y'all are going together. Okay, good. Just, just keep it right there. That's, that's the nice. Good. <laughs> no, I'm playing. It's good. Y'all are. Y'all are fully in community. You're, y'all got it back there too. There's a lot of touching going on in here. I'm feeling uncomfortable. But it's good. Uh, playing. Think about the power of that. Think about the power of being so linked, so connected, that when someone you're close to is suffering, you're mourning just like they are. Have you ever been in that place where you're in pain, you're mourning, somebody comes in, gets in the pain with you, and it's like they lift it? 
it's like all of a sudden when you're not alone in it anymore, it just starts to get lifted because someone else got in there with you. It's powerful, isn't it? Or when somebody, like, celebrates your win. I'll tell you all a fun story. Um, we, we vacation. Sometimes we've gone to Orlando, and everybody in my family likes to do roller coasters, especially Mary Beth. And, um, and so we'll do days of roller coasters or whatever. We don't, we don't really do, we're not really like Mickey Mouse people. We're like, go do the roller coaster. Mary Beth likes the water park. So they'll just roller coaster and water park, roller coaster and water park. But I like to fish. So I'll find a guide and I'll go fish at one of those lakes over there because they've got awesome fishing like an hour outside of Orlando. So a couple of years ago, I took Kobe now, I always ask any, everybody, anybody want to come with me go fishing? And they're like, yeah. And I go, okay, good. We got to get up at 530. And they're like, no. I don't feel it anymore. I'm not feeling it. But for whatever reason, Kobe decided he wanted to go fishing that day. And it was like, we were in the middle of summer. It was hot as could be. Like, it's like, I don't know if we're going to catch anything, but we're just going to go for it. I'm going to pay a guide. We're going to do it. Go to out, out, out to one of these big Florida lakes with these 10-pound bass fish out there. You never know. You might just get lucky or whatever. So we're on the way, and I'm asking the Lord. I go, Lord, just get Kobe a good fish today, please. Like, I don't want him to be like, Dad pulled me out at 5.30. How to go fishing this sucks. You know, it's like, I just get him a good fish. So we're out there, and we're not catching anything. The guide isn't catching anything. And I'm like, dang it, you know. And, and so then Kobe gets a fish. He's getting like a four-pounder. Four-pound bass is a good-sized fish. I'm like, all right. All right, Lord. Okay. Yeah, that's maybe like his personal best. I'm like, okay. Well, you know, I, I prayed that prayer. Just bless Kobe with a big fish, Lord. There it is. There's the four-pounder. And, uh, and it's a little while longer. I think I don't even know if I had caught one yet. Had I even caught one? Maybe one, like a dink? Yeah, like dinks. I got like, I got like the baby fish. Kobe's got the four-pounder. I'm thinking this is a dead day. And Kobe goes, oh, I think I'm, I'm hooked on something, like a log. He's, oh, 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 no. Oh, no. I got something. And the thing gets out of the water, and it's the biggest fish I've ever seen in my life, like with my own eyes in my life. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I get my camera. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Kobe. Oh, my gosh, Kobe. And Kobe starts reeling this thing in, and the, the guide starts freaking out. He goes, oh, that one's huge. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The dude is flipping out. Kobe wrestles this fish in, gets it on the, you know, in the boat. They, the guide is like, oh, my gosh, pulls his phone out. He's taking pictures of it before we're even doing anything. I'm like, bro, you're going to, like, the fish is, like, flopping. He's like, no, oh, my God, oh, my God. Gets the fish, puts him on the scale. It's over 10 pounds. Listen, a 10-pound fish is about an 800-pound human. Like, it is a big, like, once-in-a-lifetime, like, my 800-pound life kind of person. Is that. It's amazing. I'm like, I get so geeked. I'm going, yeah! Like, I'm, like, flexing and screaming. We're just freaking out and high-fiving. I'm videoing. We're posing with the fish. We're all taking pictures like we all caught it. And it's just, I mean, this is a huge fish. Ten-pounder. I'm like, oh, this is the best day ever. Yeah, baby. I'm so excited. I'm like, 
Oh, my God. Like, Lord, you heard my prayer, and you gave Kobe the best fish ever. This is awesome. So I'm like, five minutes later, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's got to be another 10-pounder in here, here somewhere. I, you know, I, we, I sowed into Kobe. I'm going to receive back. Thank you, Lord. It's going to happen. Nada. I, look, I, didn't, I don't even think I caught maybe one the rest of the day. I look back. This is like 15 minutes later. Kobe's over there. He's got some snacks. He's like got his water. He's like sitting there. He's like eating his bar or whatever. I'm like, bro, don't you, you just caught a 10-pound bass. Don't you want to fish some more? He goes, well, uh, didn't you say it's like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of fish? He's like, that was my one time. It's good. I'm good. <laughs> I was like, we got six more hours, bro. Anyway, that was a moment that I did notice, that I did rejoice with those who rejoiced. I felt as happy for him as I would for myself. All right, sorry. I just thought you would like to hear the fish story. Okay. That was not the one that got away. It was the one that we actually caught. All right, three things that I want to I highlight. Three words, altar table road. Now, those of you guys that have been around here any amount of time, you've probably heard this, altar table road. Last summer, we did like a 10-week series on altar table road in our main services. Um, we've talked about it a little bit here, but I just want to mention what that is. It's a discipleship framework that we use at Gate City to describe those simple things that are mentioned in Acts 2 about prayer and breaking of bread and, and, and teaching and evangelism. It's just our simple framework that we utilize to describe that, altar, table, road. So altar is that we center our lives and our spiritual family around an altar of worship and prayer. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. But we have live 24-7 worship and prayer that takes place right in our main room. And when we were in there, we move it to another room, this room or room upstairs. But we have had live worship and prayer. Sometimes it's incredibly weak. Like, sometimes it's like, wow, Lord, do you really like this? And then he shocks us and he goes, of course I do. Look. And he does a miracle through it. But, and, and then many times the Lord's really been moving preciously and powerfully through it. But we've had live worship and prayer that's taken place. It'll be in, in February, uh, February 12th. It will be 18 years straight, without a break. <laughs> My wife's like, yeah, boy. But, I mean, without a break, like New Year's, Christmas, Easter, 3 a.m., 3 p.m., like, it's a shock. It's a, it's a record. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. And, uh, and that is the center of our spiritual family. So, just like in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel is gathered around the, the uh, tabernacle and the glory of God was there and all the people were gathered around. We've built our church in that way, gathered around this place of encounter, worship, and prayer at the center. So that's the altar. So table, that's where we open our hearts with one another. That's where we share meals together and, and share our hearts with one another. And we teach and we disciple and we fellowship. That's the table reality. For us in gatekeepers... Our table, it, we, we experience that in our, like our family nights. We experience it in like these gatherings that we're doing. Those are times where we're wanting to build this deeper place of connection and fellowship. And then the core of it is in our tea groups, like our smallest groups of discipleship and relationship and accountability. 
And um, I've I watched our T groups this last year, and I've been really, really blessed and impressed by how the ones that have stayed together over the year have just grown in relationship, grown in depth, grown in heart with one another. It's been precious to watch the relationships develop and grow and sharpen. So that's our table. And then road for us is outreach. It's what we do on GGC's campus, sharing the gospel every single week. But it's more than that. It's doing things for the poor. Um, You know, in our church, we will collect food or we'll collect like we did a shoe drive or just whatever. There's a variety of ways that we reach out. We give offerings to the poor. Um, And it's missions. It's overseas. It's, you know, so it's a local evangelism. It's caring for the, uh, the weak and the most needy. And it's going out across the nations and sharing the gospel. And we're going to do this year over the summer, we're going to do our first gatekeepers missions trip. Hallelujah. And depending on how many people sign up, we may have to go to two locations. And I'm su- I'll tell you about it at a different time. But I'm super, super excited about it because we will be able to do some real, I think, contact kind of ministry that will make a big, big difference. Well, I just mentioned Altar Table Road. I mentioned that to you guys so you can get your mind around when we say we go together, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about these environments. This is our framework. This is how we're always going to be moving together. We're going to be moving in prayer together. We're going to be moving in our our environments of fellowship and discipleship and family and enjoying each other together. Um, And then we're going to be doing these outreaches and these missions environments and evangelism. We want to do all of it together. And so this is part of what we're saying. We're saying the unity of the Spirit, being diligent, going in one accord. So last week we preached all these things and, and people were like, yes, I want to go together. I want to do this thing. I want to go together. These are the ways that we're going to go together. I'm I'm not up here trying to hype you up to get you to do stuff. I'm saying if we want to if we want to experience the unity of the spirit, this is our framework. This is the most simple way that we know how to do what looks like a first century format in a 21st century culture. Altar, table, road. We put all this in place for all of us so we can live a Christianity that's real, that's authentic. Does that all make sense? It takes some of us explaining these points so that we can say, okay, this is how we're going to engage. I want to just mention, when I got saved, I I was, you know, a a young guy. I got saved in college, and and then I connected to a church. It's a huge church now. It's 13,000, 14,000 people. I was one of the original six members. And when I got saved, I knew that I needed to be with people who were going for the same things that I was going for. I knew that if I just tried to, like, do the Sunday thing and then hang out with all my old friends, it was just going to be a minute, and I wasn't going to be doing the Sunday thing anymore. I was just going to be doing the old friends thing. And so I needed to find people that were going after the Lord or hungry for the Lord and just And then, honestly, quite honestly, I came out out of such a jacked-up lifestyle that I was like, hey, how can I be at the church more? And they're like, well, we got to paint that wall. I was like, done. They're like, so you paint things? I was like, nope. Never painted before in my life, but I can figure out how to paint that wall just if I can be here. They're like, all right, go ahead. So, I mean, I'm there serving at the church, doing all sorts of stuff all the time because I just wanted to be around people 
that were going after the Lord. And I just knew that I'd just gone so hard for the, for the enemy. I needed, to, I needed to have a crew. I needed to have a people that I was running with. And I needed it to be daily because I get bored easy. Anybody get bored easy? <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to throw myself into this. And I remember saying to the Lord, I'm, Lord, I'm sorry. I went really hard for the devil, but I'm going to go even harder for you. As hard as I went for the devil, I'm going to go really hard, harder for you. And that just kind of set my heart of how I was going to live my life. And I think from now to this day, in the grace of God, I've, 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 I've felt the, the wind of God compelling me into that. Even in seasons when I just felt even bored with God, I was like, no, 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 I can't allow myself to get bored like that. I need to, I need to come back to a refreshing of who you are. Well, I want to tell you why we end up with night and day prayer, and I want to I kind of localize, I want to localize the call of tonight about going together around our altar. Because this is probably the most central thing. It is, not probably, it is the most central thing to who we are. And it's the most singular thing that I know that I'm called to in my life. And it's this uh, building of night and day worship and prayer. And when I've thought about the Lord putting me back in gatekeepers and Mary Beth and I getting to do this with, um, with y'all, it's just been such a, a sweet, awesome time. Oh, I want to tell you all this. There's a, a friend of ours, I didn't even tell you this, Daniela Targa, Jose and Daniela Targa. She was in our youth group. Um, anyway, I'll tell you later who it is. <laughs> That's ringing a bell. But she sent me, she goes, I sent you, she was here this weekend. She goes, I sent you a dream last year. I go, Yeah. I, I, I go, remind me. She goes, the Lord had, he'd renewed your youth. He'd refreshed you, and he put you in with the young adults. You were pastoring the young adults. And God was moving in revival. I was like, oh, I don't remember that. Send it to me again. I get a lot of people give me a lot of dreams. I forget them easily. But I was excited to hear that. I go, oh, that's right. That's, that's right. You called me to be with the young people because you want to break through with the revival. Yes. So here I want to give you just a little of my journey, and I want, to, I want to call you guys forth into this altar. Not this altar, but the altar of this house. I want to go together, and I, I want to ask you all to go with me in it. So uh, I'm a youth pastor. You guys know the story. I used to be a youth pastor. Uh, I, I, at the, I'm at the end of this moment of being a youth pastor. I'm transitioning with how these things God had done in our ministry. But I get to this place where I realize we need a breakthrough far beyond anything I'd ever seen. We need something that's citywide. We need a move of God that's going to change culture. We need something that's going to sweep across, you know, the entire region. That's going to shut down the highways because the glory of God hits. It's going to blow up campuses and break in on restaurants and gas stations. And, like, I start getting this vision of what would it look like if God's glory fell across a region like I'd seen him do in rooms. Because if he can do it in a room with 100 or 500 or 1,000 people, what's that to God? He can do it with a million people. It's, it, for him, it's, it's, not even, it no, it's no harder to do it with 500 or 5,000 or 5 million. So I started getting this vision of what could it look like if it hit the whole region? What could it look like if a breakthrough came where the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on the college campuses, where there was a sense of God's presence that was haunting and that 
that college professors were coming under conviction, realizing they'd been fools because they're atheists. What if they, what if just the knowledge of God broke in on their hearts and started rattling them with truth? What if it started sweeping campuses? What if it swept through the financial sector? What if it swept through the entertainment industry? What if it hit in Atlanta and all the arts areas? What if it hit in all the drug areas? What if it hit in all the clubs? What if it hit the LGBTQ community? What if something swept where there was a knowledge, just a knowledge of God's glory started bearing down on an entire region? What if heaven opened and everybody had a sense that God was near? And now they can't just blow it off, brush it off, act like God's not real. Now they're coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you just ask them, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And the knowing starts just bearing on their soul. They know that's what they need. So, I mean, these are the things that I had in, in my heart and in my mind. Like, God wants to sweep the city. God wants to sweep across the region. God wants to light Atlanta up. And that would, be, that would be like my whole message. And I remember I was talking to a leader, and I said this. I said, I believe if we pray, we get a breakthrough in the heavens, and then God's glory falls, and then across the region, people start, you know, experiencing conviction and coming to know the Lord. And he said this to me kind of flippantly, almost like, almost in a mocking way. He goes, well, if you think everything is based on prayer, you should just pray all the time. I went, Hmm, excellent idea. But it was literally out of that I thought, that's probably right. If I think we need a breakthrough across a region, then it makes sense to me that we're going to hit the heavens until the whole region explodes. Because I just believe that the heavens... There is a battle going on in the heavens, and Daniel 10 explains it, that the angels and the demons are fighting in the heavenlies, and I just believe that if the saints will come together in unity, we can begin to, like, our prayers can begin to affect what's happening in the heavens, and we can begin to push back the veil of darkness and see a break-in of the presence of the power of God. Well, I've believed that since I was a youth pastor. I've believed that for years and years and years and years. And like I said, when I had that leader say that to me, it was like, huh. And then I started hearing about these uh, houses of prayer and about this idea of 24-7. And I was like, like, that's a thing. Like, people actually do that. They actually do night and day prayer. They're actually continually worshiping. They're actually continually interceding. They're actually continually believing that if they will pray, God will answer. And they're continually mounting a, a, a whole, you know, force of prayer that there's no way that if they continue in prayer in that way that it's not going to get answered. Like, what goes up must come down. And there has to be a breakthrough. And so I hear about this place. I hear about this, uh, this house of prayer that's in, in, in Kansas City that's going 24 hours a day. And, and I start getting, like, gripped with the vision like we need that in Atlanta. 
And I believe the Lord starts telling me, like, if Atlanta falls to the kingdom of God, if you get a regional breakthrough in Atlanta, the entire southeast will fall to the kingdom of God. And if the southeast falls to the kingdom, the entire nation is going to get swept into something that God's doing. And this is way before Atlanta became this hub for all the movies. You know, we have more movies made in Atlanta than in Hollywood, and not by a little, by a lot. It's because of the way they set up the tax structures and everything. If Atlanta gets rocked with a revival, the communication and arts center that Atlanta is with CNN and the movies, it is going to shift things dramatically across the nation. So that's where the vision came to us. And then we prayed, we talked, and we felt like the Lord was sending us. So we spent a year learning how to do night and day prayer. Now, here's the thing. Most people don't get this. I go there for a year, and three months in, I'm like, oh, my God. I have no idea what these people are talking about. They're talking about terms in the Bible that I've never even paid attention to. They're, they're talking about a lifestyle of intercession and intimacy with God. And they're talking about, you know, all sorts of things that I don't have any language for. John the Baptist, forerunners in the wilderness, you know, you know voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. I'm going like, I don't even know what you're saying. And so three months into me being there, I am completely depressed. And I'm sitting there, I remember I'm sitting there in the prayer room and uh, one of the worship leaders is singing this chorus about ascending the mountain of myrrh. Now, those of you guys, we did our Song of Solomon study. The mountain of myrrh, come on somebody, what is the mountain of myrrh? Death. And this worship leader is singing, ascending the mountain of myrrh, ascending the mountain of myrrh, ascending the mountain of myrrh. I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. I'm dying right now. They won't stop singing it, and I'm dying. Because it's hitting me, there's not a chance. There's not a chance you're going to build 24-7 prayer. Nobody in the whole nation has done it except for this one place. You're just arrogant. You're foolish. And at that point, I shared a bunch of, you know, vision and called people to to give to it, and people were supporting the idea that we were going to plant a house of prayer in Atlanta, and now I'm out there for a year, and I'm trying to, like, you know, learn how to do it, and I'm three months in, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm doing this. There's no way I can do this. And they, that worship leader would not quit singing, ascending the mountain of myrrh. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I am so sorry. So this is a true, my true prayer life. I go, Lord, I'm so sorry. I got arrogant, and I thought I heard you say that you wanted me to build night and day prayer, but clearly that's not what this is. Clearly I got arrogant, and I just took my family. We moved out here, and I've missed you, completely missed God. And I'm so sorry. And, and meanwhile, I'm sharing with leaders, you know, that are out there, and they're saying, oh, yeah, no one else has ever done it. It's probably never going to happen. You might want to just start thinking about living here for the next five to ten years. Like, those are what, like, I'm getting counsel. Like, you've probably not going to happen for you. So I'm sitting there in the prayer room, and I'm going, and they won't quit singing Mountain of Myrrh. I'm like, I really am dying right now, Lord, so please forgive me. (laughs) 
But I said, Lord, uh, I'll give back all the money that everybody, this is, what, this is my real prayer. So I'll give all back all the money that people have given me and supported me. Um, I'll give it all back if you can just make it so I don't go to jail. Because you can't raise money in church for a certain thing and then not do it. That's, you know, that's all sorts of false bad stuff that you can go to jail for. So my real prayer was, God, can you make it so I don't go to jail? I mean, I'm at at a low spot. And I'm sitting there, and I feel like the Lord, I hear the Lord speak to me. And there's a few times in my life when I feel like it's, it's like an internal audible, like a little louder just than your thoughts. It's more like almost, I don't want to say a voice in your head, but it's, you know, it's like that. It's, it's like you're hearing the Lord. He's not out here, but it's in here. You hear him speak in your, in your head, in your heart. And I hear him say my name. He goes, Billy, do you know how proud I am that you would even try? I went, you like this? And then I hear the Lord say, oh, yeah. Would you just keep trying? And I'm sitting there like, oh, gosh, what is this? Because I thought for sure I missed it and I'm failing. He goes, would you just keep trying? I go, yes, Lord, I'll keep trying. And so I go through the rest of the nine months that we're out in Kansas City. I learn everything I can. I move back here. We start with 40 people and 40 hours of prayer a week, worship and prayer, trying to build it. I'm in a borrowed building without a sign. I don't have a phone. I have no way for people to even find us. I have a web page. That's it. And people start showing up. We're, we have a small email address. We start sending like, we're doing prayer meetings. Come on. You know, we, I, I don't have a platform. People start showing up. We goes from 40 hours to 70 hours within about two months. 70 hours a week. Then it goes from 70 hours to 120 hours a week in like six months. And we are in a borrowed building. It says City Harvest out front. I don't have a sign. Nobody knows where House of Prayer Atlanta is. Nobody knows where it's at. All I've got is a website. I have no phone. 120 hours a week, and I remember, I'll never forget this, it's 70 hours a week, and I remember, I'm sitting there, and and we're getting ready to add more hours from 70 to go up, and I'm sitting there talking to a couple of our leaders, and and I'm sitting there, and I said, hey, I think, I think we might, we really, this thing might really go 24-7, and they go, well, duh, that's what we've been thinking the whole time, what have you been thinking? And I go, well, I have been thinking that, but I just it's, it just seems so impossible. I just figured unless the Lord build the house, we'll just all move over to Kansas City or something. I, like, I don't know. But they're like, well, you better get believing. I'm like, okay. But I think I'm like literally the last one who was actually in faith that the thing was going to happen. So we get to 120, and it kind of stays at 120 for several months. And then I remember it's 16 months in. We were, because we were 24 or 5, that's 120. And 16 months in, we're able to build out the weekends. And it goes 168 hours. It goes 24 7, live worship and prayer. And it's the only other 24 7 
worship and prayer meeting in the entire nation. And we do it in a borrowed building without a sign and without a phone. So unforeseen, so impossible. I did not have a big name or a big draw or a national ministry or any kind of media. Had nothing. God was drawing people. I remember when we first started, this man walks in the door. He's a a Messianic Jewish man who's a worship leader. He goes, is this where the prayer meeting is? We're like, yeah. He goes, I want to be here and do worship with you guys. That dude did about a thousand prayer meetings for us over those first four or five years. I was like, who sent you? What planet are you from? Like, God was drawing people to us spontaneously, miraculously. And now we're coming up on 18 years in. And through all these different changes and shifts, the prayer room has continued to go. Sometimes it's so weak. Like, I, I mean, it just really is. But sometimes, it, and even in the weakness, I would say it's so beautiful. And I just think, man, if I... If I get to offer the Lord a 24-hour week prayer room as the outflow of my whole life, man, I'm in. I'm in for it. Like, I'm all in for that. I still believe in 24-hour worship and prayer. I still believe Jesus is worth it. I have a friend, he goes, Jesus isn't worth 24-7. He's worth 25-8. And I'm like, Lord, I'm all in for this. And here's the thing, I, it's not even about having an inspired prophetic thing. Like, there are so many Bible verses. It took me a while to understand what the Bible talks about and that David's tabernacle was 24 hours a day, that the church was actually praying daily, and in some places it was continuously praying. I mean, and that's happened throughout the history of the church, that what we have isn't some sort of charismatic thing that's new. It's just something that's been in the Bible and been practiced by the church over ages and come to find out that so many of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic tradition have carried continuous worship and prayer for centuries at a time. It's been a mainstay of the church for years and years and years and years and, 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 and decades and centuries and ages. And here we have it in stinking Lawrenceville, Georgia. And the whole thing is a miracle. It's just a miracle. I, I, I just, I step back and I look at it and I go, it's impossible. It's a miracle with not enough people and not enough money. And I don't even know who's all done worship in there. I I don't even know them. So many people have done sets on our platform. I don't know where they came from. I don't know who they are. I meet them all the time. Like, hey, dude, what's your name? And they're coming off the platform having just done two hours of worship in my 18-year-long prayer meeting. I'm like, where'd you come from? I just met a dude the other day. He's a police officer up in Dahlonega. Dahlonega is like an hour and a half, two hours from here. I go, hey, man, where are you from? He goes, Dahlonega. I go, like, two hours away? He's like, yeah. He was like, yeah. (laughs) And I I, I think I said it like bad. I go, why are you here? (laughs) He goes, we just want to do this. And it was him and his wife, we just want to sing to Jesus. We just want to have this. He goes, thank you for letting me be here. I'm like, yes, officer. 
But here's what I want to say. I'm, I'm ending now. I know this isn't the 45-year-old's prayer room. Yes, it is. It's for them. But it's at the core of this thing. It's the 20-year-old's prayer room. And that has to be really, really clear to you guys that this is your altar. That this place is yours. And I, I am so grateful for Veronica and Julianne and Saya, and they've been leading. They lead a whole, do you know they lead 42 hours a week of prayer every week? That is unstinking real. Now, they don't do it like themselves. <laughs> like Veronica's at the end of the week, like, Lord, I lift your name on high. Like, it's not this them doing it. Did you like my impersonation? Did you like it? You did. But they lead all sorts of people that are up doing worship and prayer sets, full teams, single people, all sorts of crew. And this is the most centerpiece of who we are as a spiritual family. It's the Holy Ghost. Ooh, sorry. Okay, sorry. That was dumb. Sorry. So sorry. Painful. Painful. Um, But it's the most central thing to who we are. And I'm convinced of this, that the Lord put Mary Beth and I into gatekeepers with y'all so that we can have a complete refreshing in our prayer room with young adults going hard, young adults bringing the worship, with young adults pouring their hearts out, with young adults creating a space of encounter, with young adults adding their portion, bringing our... our, Z's, y'all have a different culture and style. Bringing that and expressing that and offering that to Jesus, I feel like we haven't even seen the richness of what God wants to do because I feel like Z's haven't even taken their place yet. And I feel like I've been working 18 years to have an altar set up so you guys can come in and cause this thing to go to a whole nother level. And I believe that's why the Lord's put us back in with y'all. Because somebody is going to pray the last sort of straw that breaks the camel's back prayer. Somebody is going to take the football sort of across the finish line, across the goal line, and get a breakthrough. And everybody that goes before all gets to share in the reward, but somebody is the one that strikes the, the last hammer stroke. And I just, I just feel like, man, guys, this is our, this is our moment. This is our moment. And so I want to call us to it. Let's all stand. Thanks for bearing with me. I'm sort of just talking and sharing my heart. It's, it's the best I got tonight, friends. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. We've talked about this passage before. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, that will never hold their peace day or night. And you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give the Lord no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Last year we taught and preached on those messages and 
Man, the Lord broke in so powerfully with intercession in our midst. It's been, it was fantastic. But I feel like there's a moment right now of engagement together where the Lord really wants to put us on the wall and really wants to hand leadership. I just think about Julianne, Veronica, and Saya taking leadership. But hand leadership in the prayer room to you guys in a real way, a real, real way. We have a, we have a dream, the, the girls and I and, and Gus, we have a dream that there would be an entire bank of prayer meetings that's all gatekeepers' prayer meetings, that it's all run by gatekeepers, gatekeepers' teams, gatekeepers' intercessors, that the whole thing is just gatekeepers. And I don't know how many times a week we can get it, but man, what if we did it? What if we came together and owned a portion of our altar as our, our portion, our part, to see breakthrough come? I think it's, I think it's for us. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to pray, and we're going to throw a QR code up. If you can sing, or maybe you think you can, we're even good with that. <clears throat> if you can play, so many of you are amazing artists. Keys, guitar, harp, violin, tuba, whatever. Um, or if you just want to pray, if you just want to get in there and burn and cry out and pray, we want to get everybody in the game. We want to go together in the altar, okay? So I want to pray together, and then I want you guys to just scan this thing and sign up. And Julian and Ron are going to follow up with all of you. They're going to follow up with all of you to get you, get you connected. What would we say? In, in the next couple weeks? Yeah, in the next couple weeks, if not sooner, to just get you plugged in somewhere. So let's just pray for a moment. Thanks for bearing with me and letting me share my heart on this. Lord, there's something that you want to release there's something that you want to do in this city. There's a dream you have. And I remember when I was in that prayer room and I tried to quit you and you told me you were blessed. I believe you're still blessed today. And Lord, here it is, standing in front of a brand new generation that has a portion and a breakthrough to bring, that has a heart and a hunger and a desire, something that you want to move in them and through them with. So God, I am asking, would you just cause our hearts to burn? The singers, the musicians, the dancers, the intercessors, the artists. God, the writers, the poets, the evangelists in the room. God, that they would get so lit up in the, in the altar and take everything you give them on the road. God, that we would go together in the altar. We would have times of corporate encounter in the prayer room that we'd see breakthrough come. God, even as you give us little tastes in those midnight intercession sets, 
There's something so much more that you want to bring through us. Help us to go together, God. Charge our hearts and call us into something. Let us have a transcendent sense that there's something so much greater, so much grander that you want to release, that the breakthrough is going to come when we get a breakthrough in the heavens. Lord, do it in us. This, if this resonates with you in any way, just even ask him, do it in me, Lord. Do it in me. I want to take my place on the wall. I'm going to take my place at the altar. I tell you guys, I am believing for five staff that will come on and come on staff serving 20 hours a week in the house of prayer and 20 hours a week in gatekeepers doing campus outreach and evangelism and leading missions trips and helping with all the stuff that God wants to bring through us. I'm believing for five full-time staff who live like missionaries to pour themselves out in the place of prayer and in the, and in the, with a heart of family and, and vulnerable, preserving the unity of the Spirit, but bringing the power of the gospel to bear on an entire generation that needs Jesus. Lord, I pray even right now that you would spark vision in hearts and minds for the ones that even you're, you're pricking their heart with that's who I am. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.